Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Hi, I'm Jerry Boyer. Welcome to Meeting of Minds podcast, where we're joined today by Ambassador Sam Brownback, former governor, former senator, and now religious liberties advocate. Ambassador, thank you for joining us today on the show. Yes, Jerry, happy to do so. So you you founded an organization, a committee for religious liberty. Um, I, I give me the full name. I have trouble remembering the names of organizations. It's the National Committee for Religious Freedom, NCRF, National Committee for Religious Freedom. And it's just it just started, uh, but we got a big task ahead of us. Okay, so you just started it, and almost right out of the gate, um, uh, you went down to the bank, old-fashioned way, to deposit a check with the teller, and what happened? Well, we established the account, and uh, about three weeks, four weeks later, I'm going down to put a deposit, uh, an additional one into it. Uh, my wife and I had helped uh, get it up and going, and the teller says, uh, I'm sorry this account has been closed. Um, and I was I, I was stunned. I, I What I, I what did we do? We hadn't done anything. We just had gotten started. We had just opened it up, uh, and then they're telling us uh, the account's been closed. So that was just, it was very startling to me at that time. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's almost a humiliation in some ways. Uh, I mean, to, for, for that to happen that way, not to get not, notified by them, your bank, you know, to actually go there um, and suffer the kind of humiliation of, oh, that account's been closed. Why? I, I don't know. You know, there's something about that that's, that's kind of, I don't know. It's, um, you, it's, you know, uh, it, I, it's, it's ungentlemanly. Months. It's unbusinesslike. Well, some months later, I got contacted by a lobbyist for Chase Bank uh, and saying, well, we want to apologize for our bad customer service that you, we you did think? with you. Uh, you know, and we're sorry about that. Uh, but and then they didn't give me any reason for why they were shutting us down. And I thought this goes beyond customer service. I think this is a, this is. This is seems to be far more than that. So you did have a conversation with somebody eventually. Um, in other words, the teller didn't know anything. So, of course, you reach out uh, to uh, Chase and you went through a few levels, you know, got a little run around, went through through a few levels. And what did you find? Uh, they just said the uh, decision was made at the corporate level. It's secret. We can't tell you why. And it's irrevocable. We're not going to change our mind. And then later... You know, kind of as this matured more and more, the lobbyist for Chase got involved some and they said, well, it's bad customer service, uh, you know, and we were sorry that it, we apologize that it happened to you. But they didn't say we're going to reestablish. And then somebody else said, well, OK, if you'll disclose the people that are given up to 10 percent of your funds to you, your criteria for supporting candidates that support religious freedom, uh, we might consider reopening. Uh, and we said, you know, we're, we're not going to disclose that kind of information. You're not requiring that 
of other comparable uh, groups. We don't have to disclose that kind of information to the U.S. government. Yes, uh, it's a 501c4. The, the contributions are not charitable, are, are not um, deductible. So there's no reason for even the federal government to do it. Someone might say, oh, well, there's a subsidy. No, there isn't. C4s aren't tax deductible, if memory serves right. me correctly. So it's essentially none of the government's business. And it's really none of the bank's business either. Yeah. And, and these and so that they were asking for this and we were just going, that just seems completely inappropriate uh, that you would do that. And is that something you require of all uh, of your uh, 501c4, your, all of your nonprofit uh, groups to disclose that that type of information, uh, which we haven't we haven't heard uh, heard. I sent a letter to the CEO, Jamie Dimon. Uh, about this. We're going to be writing board members at Chase Bank uh, about this as well and asking them uh, about why this took place because we're hearing about this happening to way too many people and we want to expose it and we want to lift it up and we want really the, the public sector, elected officials, state attorney generals, treasurers to get involved in asking questions about this as well. Yeah, and one wonders, you got debanked for mysterious reasons, but I think they're probably not so mysterious. Um, religious liberty is now something that has moved into the controversial, even negative category for some elements of society. In other words, if, you, like, if you're a free speech or a religious liberty advocate, you can often be labeled as a hate group. It happened to Alliance Defending Freedom. They don't hate anybody, but they're for religious liberty. Um, and the other thing that occurs to me is, why in the world would you disclose the donors if you get debanked because of your point of view and your cause, what's to say that if you disclosed your donors, they wouldn't get debanked too for being associated with your cause? I mean, why would they be any different? Um, well, I'm no, sorry. No, why they would be any different. Uh, and it, it would also obviously have a chilling effect on people's willingness to give if that sort of information is disclosed and they have to then factor in themselves. Do I want to go through the hassle that could have come uh, come along with me being standing up for an explicitly First Amendment right of freedom of religion, of free expression, of free exercise? It's that's the actual wording. It's free exercise. You have the right to free exercise of religion in the Constitution, First Amendment. We're simply standing up for that. I, it seems to me there could hardly be something anything more American uh, than free exercise. Uh, but I guess it's become controversial in some places. Well, well, let's be honest that there's a rather large faction in, in America right now for whom American is not actually a positive thing. So you can say there's nothing more American than the First Amendment, nothing more American than the Constitution. But, you know, we have essentially a systems coming out of Ivy League universities and it, it you know, it kind of feeds into a lot of the managerial class for whom the American experiment was evil from the beginning. Why should we care about the Constitution? It's, you know, the 1619 Project says that America is based on nothing but evil and racism and all the rest of it. So these are code words for power. So we, we appeal to the First Amendment. It's no longer common ground. I mean, maybe for 60% or something, but it's no longer a universally shared good. And unfortunately, the people who are hostile to it have gravitated to positions where they're able to censor and debank and in other in other in other ways interfere with it. So we're no it's it's no longer it, it, we can no longer assume when we're dealing with these large financial institutions or business institutions that we're dealing with institutions that actually do respect the uh, Bill of Rights any longer. You know this I I find this 
the the evolution of this topic kind of fascinating. When Chuck Schumer was a junior senator from New York, uh, and I was in the Senate with him, he and I did a religious freedom bill together. You did. Yeah, the, the uh, Sikhs uh, carry a, a small ceremonial knife. It's part of being a, a, a male Sikh is this three-inch ceremonial knife, and they were being blocked from being able to do that at certain jobs. Uh, and so we put together a bill that allowed them to carry their ceremonial knife. Uh, and re the religious freedom was a completely bipartisan topic. This is First Amendment. We all agree on this. These bills were passing 99 to 1. Uh, and then which president, became, which president signed that bill when you passed it? Uh, you know, I believe I got, it was President Clinton. I think it was. Yeah. I think it was, too. Uh, and we did the Religious Freedom Restoration Act that right. passed with 90 plus votes. But then it became controversial because some people were standing for religious freedom as a part of their traditional set of values, their traditional moral beliefs. Uh, and it, then it just started started fraying and becoming a divisive political issue when it had always been a unifying issue. And it's one that's common to this country. We have a number of Amish in Kansas, uh, and some of the Amish groups don't believe in having their children go to school past the age of 16. And so there was a controversy because the state requires till 18 and, you know, pushed back and forth. And we finally found a way to accommodate them by having them get a GED after the, you know, after the age of 16. You don't have to go to school, but we got to get the GED. That worked out. And historically, that's what we've always done as a country is figured out a way to accommodate somebody's deeply held religious belief, like carrying a three inch ceremonial knife if you're a Sikh. Hmm. We're not doing that now. Now it's kind of like, oh, no, we disagree with you and we're going to make it hard on you. We're not going to try to find a way to accommodate. Well, we've seen situations in the last few years. If a state legislature passes a state level version of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which you helped you know, bring into existence, which is identical in language to that federal legislation our, you know, Religious Freedom Restoration Act, they get threatened by large corporations with divestment. In other words, if you pass that, we're gonna put your people out of work. Um, we're gonna yeah. move operations out of your state to punish you. So that's how quickly, I mean, that's yeah. how quickly that flipped from almost universal, you and Chuck Schumer and Bill Clinton all aligned to the point where large corporations treat that like it's, like it's hate legislation. That's how quickly yeah. we, we've switched. You know, and, and I saw it happen to me while I was governor of Kansas. So I, I become governor after I'm in the Senate. There's a Religious Freedom Restoration Act bill coming in front of me as governor. I hear about him debating it. I said, oh, yeah, that's a, that, that'll be easy. That'll be a big bipartisan bill. I'll be able to sign it. <clears throat> it just blew up. And it was one of the most controversial bills of that session. And we had threats from corporations. And I just go, Where, what, what happened here? This is this is a bill that federally passed and completely bipartisan and then to be in this big partisan fight. And you know, frankly, too, I think we're poorer as a nation when we fight about fundamental freedoms like religious freedom and free exercise. I, I think that really is harmful to the very design of the nation to have this big, diverse nation with lots of different values. And this, I think, hurts people even that aren't religious, that are atheists. You don't want to have your religious freedom uh, infringed upon uh, either. 
Right, because the the right to be an atheist is not, I would say, metaphysically different than the right to be a Catholic or a Muslim. In essence, it's the right to decide in your deepest core what you believe and what you'll pay allegiance to. Now, if you believe that humanity is the highest thing, you're a secular humanist, then that is that essentially, sociologically, anthropologically, that is a religion. So any any apparatus that can say you can't practice your Catholicism could just as well say you can't practice your atheism when the shoe's on the other foot. Well, and not only that, it actually happens uh, in places in the Muslim world. In Saudi Arabia, you get persecuted if you're an atheist. Right. And we stand up. When I was ambassador for religious freedom, we stood up for atheists in parts of the world that was required that you be of a certain religion. Say, no, you've got a right, freedom of religion, to not be religious. And this is a precious, deep human right that's the human right of the soul. And it's also, interestingly enough to me, religion's the one institution that has enough alliance and allegiance and pull on the heart to actually get a group of people to stand up to the government. There's just not any other affiliation really exists around the world that has the pull enough to get people to stand up to a government. And that's why religious freedom is so important, is it it actually acts as a counterbalance to government. Yeah, and to get sort of theological about this for the moment, the the New Testament scholar N.T. Wright has made a point that I, I think is really powerful, which is that when Jesus rose from the dead, we think of that as kind of just a religious thing. But it has tremendous political implications because death was Caesar's ultimate sanction. Caesar could make fun of you. Caesar could take away. The worst thing Caesar could do was crucify you and kill you. And so at that point, when God raises Jesus from the dead, I'm going to be explicitly Christian here. um, when When the father raises the son from the dead, when God raises Jesus from the dead, it sends the it sends the message. Actually, Caesar doesn't have the last word. So that gave Christians a boldness to say, I'm going to go out there and preach the gospel. Well, we're going to kill you. Yes, you might kill me, but we, we've just learned something. Death isn't the last thing. There's a final court of appeals which shows up in the resurrection. So there never has been anything as powerful in the world as religion, particularly Christianity, to, to challenge the state. Because you have, if you don't have something above the state then you don't have something that can really challenge the state. And, um, and that's why getting rid of, that's why the state always has this, whether it's Christ versus Caesar or Moloch you know, versus uh, um, uh, Hashem, whatever, something bigger than the state is the state's biggest weakness. And the state will tend to wage war against anyone who holds that there's something above it. You know, and look at look at communist China today. They're at war with all faiths. They're at war with the Muslim Uyghurs. They're at war with the Tibetan Buddhists. They're at war with the Christians, with the Falun Gong, because of the very thing you just said. And also because they have seen religion, like what happened in Poland, when John Paul goes to Poland and tells the Polish people when they're under communism, be not afraid. Well, I can tell you that the, the communist rulers in Poland and Moscow at that time were shaking in their boots when he said, be not afraid, because it meant the people stand up, be not afraid. And they did. And they threw off the yoke of communism. Well, the Chinese communists watched all that, saw all that. And they're going, we're not about to let that repeat. And they are at war with all faiths because they see it as the one thing that can stand up to them internally. And it's interesting because they're being afraid. Xi is afraid. 
You know, persecutors persecute because they're afraid, not because they're brave, not because they're secure. It's because they're, Herod killed the, in, the innocents because he was afraid. Pharaoh killed the Hebrew children because he was afraid. And Xi kills Christians and kills Muslims because he's afraid. Mm. Hmm. Well, uh, 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 all right, this is, um, I, I got a little. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. I, but I'm, I've, I've observed it. I'm working on a book now on China's war on faith. And it just it's so striking to me the lengths at which they will go to kill religion. Their sworn enemy is the Dalai Lama. Uh, they, I mean, they loathe that guy. Uh, and they're sworn enemy of the Falun Gong. And you go, the Falun Gong? Why are you guys scared about the Falun Gong? It's a religious group that's willing to stand against the state. Yes. Uh, and they certainly are Christians and Muslims, too. Hmm. I did an analysis a few uh, years ago where I looked at um, the um, list of worst persecutors of the church. Uh, so this is specifically Christians and did a statistical analysis with regime change. And the, pro the probability of regime change was much greater for the worst persecutors of the church. For instance, the Arab Spring nations all had regime change. They were all persecutors of the church. Tyrants should be afraid. They really should. Based on the data, they're on borrowed time. So just a, just a thought. All right, so, but we're dealing with the United States here. So just, yes. just a, you know, an observation, you mentioned the switch that took place where religious freedom went from being something kind of universal to something controversial. The other switch is that a lot of this stuff moved from political. You were able to win legislatively religious freedom at the national level and at the state level, and we'd win those at the state level. It moved from democratic to managerial state yes. elite. It went to the corporations. And that's, see, they, that's why, that's who went after you. They didn't go after a legislature or whatever. They went after you through the corporation. So just wonder if you have any observations about that, how this is, the, it seems like the front line is no longer the legislature. The front line is now the boardroom. It sure seems like that to me too. And that's a new front line to me. I mean, I, I've worked in the public sector uh, most of my adult life. And, and so the, the, when, when the left took this fight into the corporate world, it, it seems like it's it's in, in explicitly trying to avoid um, the, the the public system that we have of governance at the federal, state, local level. That you know people get elected. You want to change it? You elect somebody else. We tend to win these fights when it's at the grassroots level. But what they've done is they've gone to the corporate boardroom. They've gone to the corporations uh, and to take this fight there. And so. Um, I remember having a conversation with Justice Alito one time, and I was asking him, are we going to have religious freedom in this country? And he says, yes, you're going to have it in law. Mm. I'm not sure if you're going to be able to maintain it in culture, uh, meaning the, the broader body. And, and I think you're talking about corporate culture uh, right now, really as being probably the, the tip of the spear, uh, the edge of the knife on this fight. Uh, and we're seeing it in lots of different corporations and it's being expressed in lots of lots of different ways and nobody's voting on these things this is a dictate that comes down from on high or on the corporate uh, structure but it directly affects your personal daily life hmm. yeah um and we're not voting on these corporations even though we have the authority so an irony here is if you look at the political and religious views of shareholders compared to citizens in general shareholders are more conservative than citizens in general. 
So it's really ironic. It's almost like every year, every publicly traded company has an election. And the, the demographics are such that it is a red state election demographically, but we lose them all, every single one of them, because we didn't know there was an election and they did know there was an election, so we didn't show up. Or we've delegated it to BlackRock or we've delegated it to the proxy services. Almost as if we're saying to the Department of Elections, I'm registered, but you decide for me rather than cast our own votes. But think about the, the upside here because the dynamics are better. If we do show up, I think there's a lot of a corporate cultural change that could occur. That, I, you know, you're educating me on these things because I, I've just not paid any attention to these things. And I just always kind of gave it that the corporation was looking after the best financial interests of the shareholders. That's what I always understood was their duty, whether that was their fiduciary duty. But that's not what's happening. And so I, I agree with you. I, I remember you know, a lot of municipal elections in the state of Kansas, you'll have less than 12 percent, 15 percent of the electorate actually vote. People just don't show up and vote. So whoever does show up and vote has an outsized impact on what goes on in that city. Right. Same thing would be with the shareholders. Well, well, like in a, in a school board election, members of the teachers union, they show up to vote. Yeah. Right. Uh, the taxpayers, not so much. Uh, I think that the number right now is that 20 percent of retail investors vote on proxy cards. So 80 percent of us aren't voting. Um, so, uh, of course, yeah. that's the average. What that really means is Christians are probably way below that 20 percent. And people who are more secular, utopian, sexual revolution types are probably way above that 20 percent, which is why they're having disproportionate influence. They're 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 more we, well organized. We, we need to get involved in those. We need to get people on corporate boards that have an active faith. Uh, we can do this. The left has done these campaigns. We can do this. Um, I'm hopeful a lot of state uh, treasurer's offices really start getting involved in this. A number of them uh, help run or invest uh, state pension funds, which have huge portfolios uh, across the country. Uh, we really ought to be, if, if the corporations are going to put a series of, of liberal values that don't agree with a red state uh, population, then we ought to be voting the other way. Uh, are you, are you familiar with the State Financial Officers Foundation? That's the group of, of um, essentially red state treasurers and auditors general. Derek Kreifels is the executive director. And you, are, you, are you in, in contact with that group? Derek's a friend of mine. He's a fellow Kansan. Uh, I'm going to be speaking to that group. Uh, but, you know, honestly. Oh, wait. Are you gonna, you're going to meet the conference. I'll see you there. Oh, good. I hadn't thought about this issue at all prior to them starting to raise these issues. And I hadn't thought about that until you start seeing these strange actions by these big corporations where they used to be neutral on all these big social issues. And then they start taking a side and you're going, why? You guys haven't ever done that in the past. Why are you doing it now? And why are you taking their side, the left side, instead of the right side uh, on this? I mean, if you're going to take a side, why not pick us? Yeah. Uh, but there was no, I, I would rather myself that they, they, they don't just pick a side. stick to the no, just, stay out. Just, just pay attention to maximizing the benefits to your shareholders, your financial benefits to your shareholders. Well, you know, we live in a world you and I believe, I think both believe in something called original sin, uh, which is a human fallenness or tendency. Um, it's not inevitable, 
um, right? Augustine said, you know, we're able to not sin, you know, after redemption. So it's not that we have to sin, but we have a tendency to sin. That's a human nature. And so if we leave something unattended, won't it automatically kind of go in that wrong direction? And we left corporations unattended. We focused on politics. That's great. We focus on our church life and our family, right? We're raising families, right? That's great. But to some degree, we left corporate life unattended. So whether you're talking about original sin or just entropy, it's going to tend to go wrong unless we go in there and push it to go right. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Oh, it does. I mean, it's what is it? The third law of thermodynamics, <clears throat> that things go from order to disorder. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that that's just a natural tendency that uh, our institutions uh, end up doing. Right. I, I just Entropy, second law. This is all, you know, this really is a new world to me that I had, I was noticing features of it, but until this chased away campaign, I was just kind of, you know, I guess that's probably happening some, but I didn't think it was necessarily happening that much. Or I always thought, I'll bet there's some other reason going on here. And then when it happened to the national committee for religious freedom, I was going, wait, we didn't, we hadn't done anything. And this happens. So that's well, isn't that how it always happens, though? Isn't that we're rolling along doing our business and then something comes to us and we maybe we don't even want to deal with it. But that's what puts it on the agenda. Um, and that's what's happened. I think a lot of people who are active, they were busy being grandparents or be entrepreneurs or whatever. And then that agenda, that ideological agenda came and intruded into their life. And all of a sudden it's like, oh. It's worse than I thought. Now I have to do something. And I think they're going to rue the day that they canceled your bank account. I think in the history of this, this will be a turning point of significance where they probably are going to go back and say, you know, we probably should have let Ambassador Brown back in his group alone rather than doing this. Because I think it's going to activate something that's going to really get things moving in the right direction. You know, and it really wasn't even what we were focused on. We wanted to we wanted to get activists in the the school board, state legislatures, federal level that would stand for the free exercise clause. That was what we were initially intended to do. We stand up, get uh, organized and this happens and we get thrust into a different campaign. Now, we could have just ignored it, but we looked at it more and said, you know, this is where this is where people are losing a lot of their their um, their palpable rights, their, their abilities to to act freely, uh, and it's it's one we ought to get uh, ought to get into. And we had advisory board meeting on it recently, and everybody's going, yes, absolutely, get into this because kind of most people have a story uh, like this that's happened to them or a group that they're familiar with. And you're collecting stories now through your chased away campaign. How if someone has a story like that, how would they? reach you and say, yeah, I was debanked, or here's something I know about. What's the best way for them to connect with you in your campaign? Yeah, go on our website, which is the ncrf.org, the National Committee for Religious Freedom, but it's just ncrf.org, uh, and then scroll down through the Chased Away campaign. We're collecting there the stories about it to get to state attorney generals, hmm. legislators, regulators, to look into what's happened in these various cases. And we're collecting quite a few already of, of uh, some pretty astounding stories. Well, by the way, I'll put that link in the show notes as well. Um, and uh, there's also a statement on debanking and free speech, a letter put out by the uh, uh, Alliance Defending Freedom, 
Um, and we don't, I don't have that link as of right now, but we'll have the link in time for this show to be published, and then we'll put that link down below. I think that's only for people who are in the industry, so I, I signed some financial advisors who have tremendous influence. Boy, unleash the financial advisors because they're aggregators of funds. They might have 100 clients. A lot of them are going to have shares in Chase. Whew. All right. Anything you want to leave us with, Ambassador? Um, we've covered a lot of ground, and I know you have a lot of things to do. Um, anything that we didn't cover or anything you want to go back and just reemphasize? You know, my experience in these these social fights is often we lose them because we don't get on the playing field. Yeah. If we'll get on the field, we win the fights because we're standing for truth. We're standing for the free exercise in the Constitution. This is apple pie. This is all American. Uh, but we've got to stand. And too often people just say, I, I just don't want to get in the fight. I don't want to mess with it. It's going to be too controversial, whatever it might be. But that's how we lose is by not getting in the fight. We'll win if we get in the fight. And so I just really want to urge people, if you've got an example, if you've got a concern about this, contact us, start a state affiliate, start the Pennsylvanians for religious freedom. Uh, let us uh, uh, let's get on the playing field because we can win this fight. We got to stand, says Ambassador Sam Brownback. And he didn't just say it. He did it. He stood. Thank you very much for that stand and for being a guest with us on Meeting of Minds. My pleasure.